Hello, cinefans. I'm Kendall Kruver, and this is Watching Classic Movies. While the actress Veronica Lake dealt with her share of trauma, her life was not quite the tragedy that it has long been rumored to be. Before she hit her mid-twenties, she'd appeared in six bona fide classic films, including Sullivan's Travels, a series of noirs with Alan Ladd, starting with This Gun for Hire, I Married a Witch, and So Proudly We Hail. She left Hollywood behind, but never stopped working on the stage and in television, while pursuing the life she was unable to have as a young star. I spoke with UCLA Cinema and Media Studies Program Manager and Lake Enthusiast and Researcher Brian Brown about the highs and lows of this remarkable actress. Welcome, Brian. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Kendall. I This is so amazing for me, and I'm just grateful to have you here. Well, I've wanted to talk to you in detail about Veronica Lake for years because you talk about her so much on Twitter. I got to keep calling it Twitter. And yeah. I've learned so much from your posts. And I just felt like we really had to have a real conversation about it, something where we can go into detail. The first thing, of course, and, and we've talked about this, what brought you to Veronica Lake? It's such an interesting story. What brought you to her? I think this is interesting. I've been asked this many times, but really what brought me to Veronica Lake was the fact that I'm a child of the 90s and Aaliyah was my idol. Still is, you know, lover, lover, lover. Always did love the music, loved everything about her. But one thing that stuck out was the fact that as most people know her and her image that still persists and people are still imitating, the origins of that image came from the hair over one eye or the peekaboo, you know, the bang. And as I understood in learning more about her life, her mother was a big classic film fan, Diane Houghton, and one of her favorite people was Veronica Lake. <laughs> so her mother suggested to Aaliyah that, hey, you know, this is, you know, you know, you want to have a mystique about you. You know, she already had a kind of like a, you know, the sunglasses and that kind of like dark look and tone, everything. Cool girl, you know, sitting in the cut. But it was something that just heightened her image and brought it to another level. And so when I found that out, I was like, well, who in the hell is Veronica Lake? <laughs> <laughs> And so that led me down the path to discovery about who this person was, because I am that kind of person. I think most people that have any kind of obsession. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you want to know everything about them. Mm -hmm. So that brought me to figuring out who this person was. Um, it really, I was at Bowling Green when I, I think I first got a hold of Jeff Lindbergh's book. We'll talk about that yeah. later. But yes, that was, you know, that was really was a catalyst for it. And then I was so intrigued by this woman. Who, when I realized it, oh, Aaliyah wasn't the first person to invoke this. This has been going on. I, Jessica Rabbit, LA mm -hmm. Confidential with Kim Basinger. And I was like, oh, wow, I've seen this image. Even on Batman the Animated Series, there were so many characters that were. Right. So I had, it's like, wow, this is the catalyst of that. And so that was really brought me to Veronica. What were the films early in your career that you liked? Because I know that those were the ones that were more readily available for a time. Right. So, you know, we love TCM. Yes. The one that I would always show, the, the one that still always show. <laughs> uh, I think the, if I can recall, I think the, probably the first one I remember seeing is probably I Married a Witch. And I think that's probably for most people. Yes. That's the one that they remember. Think so. Which she's, she's brilliant in. It's a, it's a great, it's a classic film. So that would probably was the first one. And then it was probably This Gun for Hire, I think I saw next after that. So the classic roles. The, yeah. The ones where she does have that peekaboo bang right. in full display. And it's the character she's kind of known for. Right. Yeah. She's very present in those. Yeah. Yeah. But the, you have gone deeper, though. 
Yes, I have. I mean, like I said, when you are obsessed with something, you want to dive deeper and find more out. So um, over the years, you know, you try to find and you scour everywhere to find any kind of other films. You know, it, like I said, TCM would always play the main films, Sullivan's Travels, I Married a Witch, This Gun for Hire, The Blue Dahlia, at times, So Proudly We Held. These are the films that were big box office hits for her. So um, were shown in reruns and things very often and kept and preserved. But because Paramount had sold their catalog to Universal, I think in 1949, a lot of the films were not shown on TCM, um, but they were in the day. When I say the day, I mean like the 50s. They were shown on television, but they weren't the best quality of films. Um, AMC for several years before I was even born, AMC would. AMC does stand for American Movie Classics, by the way, you guys. Um, to remind they, you all. <laughs> remind you all. Um, they would show some of these other films that were brought over by by Universal. But once they stopped doing that, it pretty much stopped. So the only way to get them was through bad bootleg copies. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, yeah, it's not the most ideal thing, but I would get so excited each time I could find something that would help me move further in completing her filmography and, and, and seeing her filmography. But it takes a lot of work. And I've I've actually seen not every television show, but every film that she's done. So what of the things that are hard to find? And I mean, maybe this is a little bit later career. Mm -hmm. Do you find really essential that you love? I would definitely say the films that she did with her husband, Andre Dita. Um, So namely Ramrod, 1947, um, which wasn't a Paramount film. It was made through Enterprise. I think it was their first actual film that they for that production company and then later on Slattery's Hurricane that she did through Fox so those were the great finds when I was able to see them also another film she did do at Paramount one of her I think her her second to last The Sainted Sisters yes Um, and finding that which like I said the films that you are always seeing that they get replayed are the serious roles and with the exception of I Married a Witch and of course Sullivan Travels has its comedic you know bits in it but the Sainted Sisters was one I was like, wow, okay, okay, she, okay, comedy. The Sainted Sisters, so that's a film. Um, it was released in 1948. It was a film that she did later on in her career. This is close, I think, like I said, the, close to the, the end of her career there. And it's a film that paired her with Joan Caulfield, who was an upcomer at that yeah. time, and Barry Fitzgerald, who also, he's in any film that he's in, it's just spectacular he steals it um, he steals it <laughs> he, he does it and I think at this and I, I what I would like to say about this film and why it's particular to me is I it it, it wasn't necessarily a boss of a hit it wasn't she did have and displayed all those years of being an actress of learning and growing into how to be on screen and how to carry comedy and I think Joan Caulfield who there's some really gossipy things I could say about that relationship yeah, yeah. They were, they were buddies. <laughs> they were buddies. Quick, this is the reason. So Joan Caulfield, who was, you know, she was an upstart at Paramount. She came from, uh, she was a model, and then she went on Broadway, but then she got to Paramount as well. She supposedly was having a affair with Bing Crosby. And Ronnie was friendly with Bing Crosby. And I also think, just like they did with, you know, Sherry North and Kim Novak and Jane Mansfield with Marilyn Monroe, I think Paramount executives tried to place Joan Caulfield as a threat to Veronica Lake. And so she was very, very conscious of that they did not get along. She, like I said, the fair thing she looked down upon, she didn't really care for that. 
but you see it in the comedy yeah because he plays such opposed kind of like types John Caulfield plays this light kind of innocent um airhead I guess and <laughs> Ronnie is the machinations like let's just get this money girl um, <laughs> <laughs> and but you see in her reactions and I think when Ronnie could really bite something off when she could really chew on something and she really yeah. had action in some kind of physical way like I think a lot of great actors motivation in that sense then you know the performance is is greater in that sense and I think it shows that I see that in Ramrod too that's an excellent mm-hmm. role because mm-hmm. she, she she gets to play bad but she plays bad in the way the audience understands because yeah, she's so, ambitious and that's this is the only way she can fulfill her ambitions but but yes yeah definitely and i think it, it there's on that to speak on that in the layers of that this is the first film that she made with her husband andre the toth who was a film director hungarian film director most people know him from house of wax in 19 i think that was what 53 54 he, he had a no puns intended a great eye and a great sense of action and you know most of his films have this these kind of depths and these levels to them um which are very attributable to film noir so in this film she got to expand and have a character who is ironically named connie so you know veronica Lake's oh that's right constance francis real Lake. name mm-hmm so in the in the film, her character's name is Connie Dickinson. And yeah, she's an ambitious woman. Um, she's a, you know, yeah, like you say, a, a woman that is, you know, just trying to look out for herself, but maybe through some devious means and machinations. But it, it's multi-layered. You actually, when you watch a film, at least when I do, you do sympathize with her because of her situation. Does she manipulate men? Yes. She uses her feminine wiles when she can. Um, does she do some devious things? Yes. But you don't hate her at the end. Yeah. No, it's it's it is a character that had a lot of depth, and I I do say even though their marriage was pretty bad, um, he did provide her with a role like this, and I think it was great. It showed a lot for her, and it was just a a great expansion in her only real western. I don't count Stronghold. We won't talk about that film. <laughs> I I don't care to because I have seen that. <laughs> it's, 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 as, as Ronnie says, it was a dog of a film, and it truly is. Oh yeah, I mean, okay. Folks, you got to read the autobiography because <laughs> the way she writes about those later films that she didn't like so much, it's it's pretty good. She yeah. she doesn't fool herself and it's great. No. And that's one of the things I really, when I was getting to know and read about her is here you have this woman who's extremely gorgeous. I mean, I think obviously that's the first thing that for most people need to can, at that time and now that they look at is like the beauty and the, the gorgeousity <laughs> of her. Um, and, you know, that was appeal. She was a sex symbol or in her words, a sex zombie. But it's striking to me that she did. She had very little vanity. I see it, that. She had very in interviews. Yes. She had very little vanity. She was not motivated by that. If anything, I think that she rebelled against that. And I think that's probably why she didn't continue with the film career later on. So let's get into Veronica Lake, this person who was what did you say, 16 years old when she started films and eventually yeah. just left it all behind. So what was she like? Yeah, so she was born, like I said, Constance Francis Marie Alkelman in November 14th, 1922. It is 1922. There are some things that are scurrilous out there that's in 1919, but that's due to a, she forged her first marriage license. She, you know, another oh. thing, another parallel, right? With Aaliyah, with R. Kelly, right? Aaliyah, forged and um, lied about her age to get married to R. Kelly. And that was a note 
Veronica did the same thing with her first husband, John Detley, who was many years older than her. She was actually 17 when she got married, but lied and said she was 20 and put her her birth date as 1919 as opposed to 1922. So there's a little bit of that. But yeah, so she's from New York, Brooklyn. Her father was kind of like a, you know, he was a, a seaman. He worked for a company called Sun Oil Company. When she was about nine years old, he died in a tragic accident, an explosion. So he was abruptly killed. And I think that loss for her was very significant because she was very attached to her father. And so who was left was her mother, who she never got along with. Um, they were just opposed completely as personalities. And that happens, you know, in families. Um, her mother quickly moved on um, to marry a New York staff writer for, I think it was the New York Times, a staff artist uh, named Anthony King within like a year after her father had passed, right? So I think there was a lot of resentment that started with that. Being a young child, you lose your father, now you have a new one. So quickly, yeah. Right. So they moved around uh, different places, Florida to uh, Sarnac Lake to Montreal, but when they were in Miami, I think when she was about uh, 15, 16, she in- was entered into a beauty pageant and she won, but she was underage. Here's a recurring theme of, them, you know, but basically her mom was star- starstruck. Her mom wanted to be the star. Her- she it was a typical stage mother, moved them out to California on a whim, you know, thinking, you know, she could be a star. Then that would help us all out, that yada, yada. Mm. And it worked out in her favor. It really did. She worked at Archeo doing bit parts. RKO, MGM, Fox, and then finally she landed at, at Paramount. And it was rather quickly. She started really doing these bit parks and these small films. Yeah. Hanson Coet with Lana Turner, All Women Have Secrets, Sorority, you know, House. She did 40 Little Mothers with Eddie Cantor. But within like a year or two, she got her first real big role, which was I Wanted Wings. It's, it is quite an intro. Mm-hmm. If it you you do see where the Jessica Rabbit influence came from with yeah. that intro, the way the camera goes up on her, her hair, the gown, yeah. everything. Yeah, all right. And that dress, which a lot of people think it's uh Edith Head, who was a very close friend with her and did all of her clothing. But that actually was Oleg Cassini who designed that gown. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. But I love that sequence where you're talking about the introduction to her. It's it's so similar. It's like an hour, 50 minutes into the film of I Wanted Wings. It's one of those things that harkens back to Wings, right? That scene where the camera moves in between people and they part. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a great it intro. It is, yes. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's just a dream intro, mm-hmm. a true intro for her, you know? Yeah. And then from there, she is in these huge films. Yeah, she's in these huge films. 19, I don't think anybody had a better 1942 than Veronica Lake. Outside of Alan Ladd, you know? Yeah. Um, they had multiple hits. So it, 1942, Sullivan's Travels comes out, which I think is her best performance on film. It's fantastic. I wish she would have had the chance to work with President Sturgis again, because I think that she worked very well with his kind of direction. And I think they had a very similar sense of humor, which her humor was very wry and dry, which put people, you know, the wrong way sometimes. But but 1942, she had Sullivan's Travels. She had, of course, This Gun for Hire which launched Alan Ladd. After that comes The Glass Key, I Married a Witch. And then she did a variety film, Star Spangled um, Rhythm, which that's a big year. These were big films and she was a top star. This lady was tired too. Yeah. And like I said, so when she became a star, she literally became a star at 17. We had to talk about this issue. You know, what we place on young women. She's 17 years old and she becomes a sex symbol. 
Would you say it now? It's like ill, ick, you know. Mm -hmm. But she was a she was a baby, but they were not dressing her up like a baby. No, and she was presented as a woman. She played characters who were older, but she was one of the reasons why she did, I believe, get married to John Detley very early is to escape her mother. But sometimes people who you run to one thing, you run to another, but you don't really have a sense of yourself as an adult. And I think because all these things happen so quickly for her. It's hard to cope with those things, but also the the attention that you get, like that as a young woman, the national yeah. attention and to it be to be so sexualized. I mean, it's hard enough growing up and getting that attention, but when it's the whole world, right? That's a lot. Like, how do you survive that? Right. So, is that why she left films? I mean, was that a reason that she left uh, it behind? Yeah, I definitely think that she did not care for the image that was initially, you know, she was branded. I will say this, they they pull out all the stops for her. They knew that they were going to bet on her when they saw her in those rushes for I Wanted Wings. They knew that she was going to be their star. And so they did a big publicity campaign for her in, in the very, you know, sex symbol, Femme Fatale way. And I think that image stuck for a very long time. She did manage, I think, in some way by 1944 to kind of try to challenge uh, that image. But she did ultimately decide to leave and reject Hollywood after 19, like 1950 because those are the roles that were given to her. It was her screen image. And I don't think that she wanted to do that. The fir- One of the first big things to shoot on the stage after 1950 was Peter Pan. She chopped all her hair off and played a boy. <laughs> he was born to do that. Oh, right. the pictures out there. It's yeah. unbelievable how perfect. It's a great cast. Like it's so, so it was definitely intentional that she felt like this is a town that only sees me one way. I don't care to be seen this way. How much money was placed on her hair and that part of her image and even her cutting it? She eventually she did a chop in like 1944, 45, I think, where she yeah. shortened her hair a little bit. And even that was like a, you know, like, oh my gosh, she's cutting her hair. And then when she really did a chop of her hair and then cut it all off and did which was was in style at that time the, the pixie cuts and it was what are you doing you know imagine it's like yeah. imagine Betty Grable cutting her legs off you know <laughs> or, 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 <laughs> oh, that's a different kind of movie <laughs> right <laughs> so um but yeah she it definitely was a re- it was a rejection of that and it was for her it was I have to grow I have to be someone else as she so, said I have to live I need to learn how to live so what did she do to live what kinds of right. roles did, did she play and where did she play them there was a lot going on after she left fairmont she did suffer some breakdowns like i said her her marriage to andre talk crumbled she at this point had several kids she was never really fit out to be a mother in a lot of ways but she did work continuously so the first thing that happened is at this time we're talking about the early 50s television was booming right it was a new medium it still was seen as a kind of a come down for a movie star yes on television at this time and do television but it was quite lucrative for movie stars to do television so she did a lot of television and some you you can find some episodes on youtube you know you see her and it's like wow she could have you know this is a little episodic little you know the shows that are fun yeah but she could have if they had expanded on film it would have been great you know but she did a lot of that she expanded but she worked consistently on in television and then she also did so much on stage i mentioned peter pan but she also did gramercy ghost she she did a lot of different stage shows she actually you know she started on stage she started bliss hayden before she started doing film work that was her training in 1939 but she went back to the stage as so many of those actors did that lost their contract remember this is also a time where 
the studio system was breaking up. So they were divesting themselves of of a lot of their contract players and, and such like that. So a lot of people were going back on stage. So she just was doing what everyone else was doing at that time, movie stars. And she did touring productions. She did summer stock. She did it all. And I think she really expanded and grew as a professional, as an actress during that period. And it seems like that was very fruitful for her until she was injured and one of the safe sessions, she, so she couldn't work for a little bit. And that's where we get to the four Veronica Lake part. And so this is an interesting part of her story because you can see how what she was doing then, like, for instance, working as a waitress and ha- living upstairs. It's it, if you if you look at it practically, it seems like a, a, a rest mm-hmm. and and maybe a way to have a simpler life and just en- enjoy mm-hmm. being around people. That was my perspective on it, but apparently that's not really how it was seen. No, it was a come down. She was a huge movie star. She was a big deal. And so for everyone else to see this person and, oh, you're not on Broadway, you're off Broadway. Oh, you're working at the Martha Washington Hotel. You're doing this. Oh, you're, you know, it was seen as a kind of come down in life like wow this once great movie star look where they are now we I mean we still do this yeah we still do this with people I don't know if it's like some kind of like sadistic joy that some people have but we like to tear people down or see them at their heights and then see them at their bottoms and like oh well you're not so great and I think that she was a fighter if anything she was a survivor and she was a fighter and I think her laments in life that led to a lot of the drinking a lot of the kind of destructive behaviors mm-hmm. were not because of a career calm down at all. So what but, was troubling her that kind of led her to maybe self-medicate? I mean, number one, the relationship you have, like I mentioned with the father, right? Losing, it's traumatic, um, losing a parent that, at that point. And then having a mother who's not very sympathetic to her for you. Would I really do te- the test about Jeff Limber's book? And I, I, res- I have him props. He did some great interviews, but he relies way too much on her mother. Oh, that's what hurts it. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read who, it, but I see what you're saying. Who did not have a relationship, who sued her daughter for payments while she was giving, in the midst of giving birth to her child, like who never really cared much for her unless she could get something out of her and had not talked to her daughter for almost decades. Yeah. So. You know, I think those kind of traumas of, and then having all these things happen so quickly, having an abusive husband, Andre talk. you know, in his book, he just mentions her briefly and it's all her fault, right? Like mm-hmm. she had a problem in the back and that was her problem. She could have been great, but she had her problems. But it doesn't go over the fact that he physically abused her. He bankrupted her and people saw this, you know, she, she was a better woman and I would hope that now we could look at that through a different lens of sympathy to understand like, well, she made it through that, but that's traumatic. That's very traumatic. And I think those were the things I think for her to cope, yes, she turned to substances. Also having these children. She also had a miscarriage in 1943, which, you know, her first, John Dentley, her first husband did go on record. He did go on record and say he wasn't sure whether or not it was his child. So there was a kind of murkiness of infidelity. But regardless, anytime you lose a child, yeah, it's devastating. So there's a lot of compounded traumas. And I think that she really didn't have a support system. Well, and if you think about 
what a lot of young women in the public eye still go through right. with all the supports in the world. It's really kind of remarkable how she kept going. And she and she did keep going. She did keep going. She kept working. I mean, she writes about this in her autobiography, and it's you know, it's when they did find her working at the Marshall Washington Hotel as a barmaid and living there. I mean, she sat down. She had no kind of shame about it at all. She was like, "Oh, this is what I do now. This is I'm fine with it. Whatever." Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, she was surviving. She had no shame about it. It's like, okay, movie star, movie star. I'm not Veronica Lake. My name is Connie. And she kept working. That was a catalyst to give her other jobs. It put her back in the, the news cycle. It could put her back in the public eye. And she kept working. She actually did an off-Broadway. She For a period, she did Best Foot Forward, the company that Liza Minnelli was in at that time. I think that was 1963. Yeah. And so for oh, a, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm, they were on stage together for a brief period. She took over the movie star role in that. In that. Oh, wow. That's yeah. a combo. <laughs> yeah. She worked. She worked. She worked. And... You know, like I said, television, She, but she worked. She moved around. She eventually, she went to like Florida. She did dinner theater. You know, in the 60s, dinner theater was, that's tough work. You can ask any of the actors. That's a You're lot real of- trooper, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a lot of tough work. So, you know, like I said, I think it's very important to kind of put it in context, right? Okay, we, we've talked about her interview with Dick Cavett in 1971. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She does allude to that, that I- I started to live kind of after Hollywood, as much as maybe he doesn't really ask the questions that yeah. would allow her to bring forth the best of her personality. Cause you see it there. Right. Simmering. And her humor. Yes. She yeah. seems like, but she does say there that I was really living after that, mm-hmm. but okay. That interview, I, I think we agree that both of us agree that it's not great, but it's not great. So that interview happened in 1971 on Dick Cavett show. And she was in promotion for her autobiography. It was the American release the the of her autobiography. So it came out in 1971. It had already come out in England when she had done a press tour there. But basically she had met, she had known Dick Cavett. They had met before party. I don't know if that interaction was great. He writes briefly about in his book, I forget the title right now. Um, but he he does write basically in a very brief terms, she was drunk, which yes, I, I think it's clear that she been drinking, but she was on point. She was actually trying to give and trying to give anecdotes and he does cut yeah. her off a lot. I think there was some kind of annoyance on his end that she had been drinking. Is that what it was? Yeah, he was because annoyed. You, you yeah. can tell, but some people can be drunk and do an interview yeah and I think she did the best that she could yeah um and but she was entertaining the only thing I say if you watch the rest of the interview with William Soroyan she does kind of interrupt at points and I think that that didn't help matters at all but she didn't interrupt in ways I feel like she just (laughs) she didn't interrupt in ways I think that were so egregious she was just adding to and listening to now we would see it like on the talk show if they have multiple guests on the couch, they yeah. might pitter patter with each other too. Like, you know, right. sitting... banter. Yeah. Right. And, but yeah, it was very much that he did cut her off and he displayed a lot of annoyance and he wasn't really listening to her. And, you know, like I said, I think that that it's, un- it's unfortunate because I think she really had a lot to give anecdotally. I mean, anytime you yeah. have a good star come on. I mean, he's known for those interviews where they can be candid and 
off like the Swanson and all that. Yeah. 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 So it's unfortunate. But yeah, I think he was basically kind of annoyed that she had been drinking. So that's what happened. Okay. Because it seemed like it was just very tantalizing what you were seeing a bit of. And mm-hmm. it just wasn't happening. But it makes sense to me. It, I can see how it just they just didn't meet. I don't know. And they didn't. But, you know, but you see so much. And I think that's a great, it is, and shout out to Alan Eichler on YouTube because he's, he's compiled so many wonderful videos and like, he's the greatest, right? He's well, just, these heroes putting things out like this. Oh my gosh. Where you would never see it. You would never see it. Yes. So I would say that that interview was great because you watch it, you see her sense of humor. And I think that's so important. And you definitely see it was a very, very dry sense of humor that she had. And for some people, they just don't click with that. So you could see how some people would be maybe not understand her very well. Yeah, find it too cynical. Mm-hmm. It would fit in more now, maybe. I don't know. It would back then, I would think. Yeah. A little it bit. It doesn't print well, right? These these things never print well. Sarcasm yeah. really print well. Well, that's, what, again, why I like her book, though, is that it somehow does come through just right. Right. There's a section in yeah. there which is... She she starts a paragraph off and it's like, oh, and this year the die. But most importantly, what we should really be talking about is rape. And she goes into like, and it's like this like weird sentence, and it's like, okay, like you read it and you're like, okay, like clearly, yeah. If you but, don't have that mindset, you'd be like, okay, something is that's strange, but you can get a sense of what her personality was, which was irreverent. Yeah. And I do think. That doesn't work with people who in the industry are so concerned with image and saying yeah. the right thing and looking the right way. Oh, you're absolutely right. Right. So you kind of had this shell that seemed like it was going to be that way. And then it wasn't. It made people angry. Oh, my gosh. That's really interesting. Yeah. She was rebellious in the way maybe somebody in the 60s would be, but she was in the 40s. Right. right. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I get, oh, we could go on forever about Veronica Lake, but before we end, what do we really need to know about her? What needs to be set clear? Um, I, Number one, I, I would say, if you see anything that says that she was schizophrenic, you better be questioning those sources. I mean, that, that has to be a goal for me to, to say this now. There are no, there's no medical doc- diagnoses. There's no documentation. There's nothing. There is no proof that she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And it's a very serious illness. And I think that people should be much more wary about putting things out there mm-hmm. that really, really affect people's lives and um and without, legacy. And and then and legacy, but also about understanding what schizophrenia is. If you look at her life, what we know about schizophrenia, there's no way that she would have been able to do the things that she did. Functioning at that level. Right. And especially when treatments for schizophrenia were so archaic and just draconian it doesn't fit so i think number one let's let that go right Mm. let's let that schizophrenia diagnosis go from her mother who i also want to say her mother estranged died in the poppers she was burdened in poppers grave she was estranged from everyone she had her own battles and she had nothing but negative things to say about her own daughter when donald bain her ghostwriter called to inform her that ronnie had passed away do you know what she said so what Oh, well, that explains a lot. Okay. That explains a lot that happened with her. Right. So there's that. I think the other thing I want to say is just the context of like women um, in this period, she got such a bad rap for being a quote unquote difficult woman, but there was so much rampant 
sexism and uh, the abuse that was going on. She talks about it a little bit. Some people think that the person she mentions, she didn't name the name, but she thinks people think it's Daryl Zanuck that she's talking about, that she threw a book at his genitalia, <laughs> right? But I mean, it's played for laugh in the books, but it's a very serious thing. And you have to look at who was in control, who was in power, who had the power to control images and careers. And for a woman that time who dared to speak up for herself, to get paid right, to want to do the right kind of roles. I mean, yeah. I mean, anytime you hear that they're a bitch, right. the first question should be, what were they facing? Right. What were and they fighting? Calling them a bitch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, as a woman, she's not in control, even if she's the most popular movie star in the world. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's just not fair. Yeah, so those are the things I really want to, uh, uh, you know, get across so people just think about more in depth and with more compassion and just more broadly and just. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are 50 very successful years. They're bumpy, but when you think of the heights, when you think of the influence. Mm -hmm. It's remarkable. It's still to this day, you know, you know, she doesn't get the credit that Marilyn gets and her name being, but listen, people know her image. People know her image because every red carpet you see, you see somebody evoking her image and it's never stopped. And that's remarkable. So if there's one thing we take away, it's that, that she was capable of multitudes. And despite the fact that she didn't get everything she needed, she did put a lot out there that we still treasure to this day, whether we know it or not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Brian. I am delighted we finally had this conversation. I love this woman and I know you do too. And it's so wonderful to kind of clear the air and celebrate her as she should be celebrated. I'd appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much, Kendall. I'm, I'm just so honored to have the platform to speak about her. And I so appreciate this. For information on how to follow Brian Brown and keep up with his Veronica Lake research, go to watchingclassicmovies.com. If you're enjoying the show, please like and comment wherever you listen. I appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. This is Kendall Kruver, watching classic movies. Until next time. <laughs>